The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's up, you guys? Sean Rossat, managing editor, fightful.com, fightfulmma.com. Head over to Fightful MMA, get your news, exclusives, photos, videos, podcasts. We did a podcast. Myself and Steven Jensen following UFC 228 this past Saturday. We're checking out. We're on podcast platforms everywhere. iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Player FM, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spotify, everywhere, my friends. We're going to talk about the UFC 228 fallout. Carlos Toro, lead boxing writer of Fightful.com, is going to join us uh, midway through the show to talk about Triple G Canelo. We do have a live Triple G Canelo 2 post show this weekend. Hell in a Cell post show. We're going to be covering UFC Moscow. I'll talk a little bit about that on the Triple G Canelo post show. But without further ado, I am joined by one James Lynch, who is uh, actually talking to some interesting names today, James. Yes, I am. I talked to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson this morning, and I'll be talking to Colby Covington uh, right after the show's over. So always bringing you guys uh, some great interviews here on Fightful. I'm like a little fly waiting for that Colby interview. I'm like, yeah, give me the scoops. Give me the scoops. Yeah. Showdown Joe is here as well. Decades, if not centuries of MMA experience has Showdown Joe. Joe, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I apologize if I don't reply to some of the stuff you guys are saying. You're both cutting in and out of me, but I'm looking at the live feed right now. It seems perfectly fine, so it just might be something on my computer. But all is going well, man. Busy day this morning, tons of meetings, uh, prepping for my soccer stuff tonight, and, and trying to figure out what's going on in this world of mixed martial arts with some of these stories that are coming in and out and tripping me out with Kiesa suing everybody, and not everybody, McGregor and, and the Barclays Center and stuff like that, and uh, you and I talking some uh, Nintendo Switch before the show. James coming on here. So James looking as pretty as always. I think he's trying to outdo us right now, but it's all good. <laughs> you mentioned that. Michael Chiesa files a lawsuit against Conor McGregor as well as a few others for the attack in uh, in Brooklyn earlier this year. James, th- does this come as a surprise to you? It does a little bit just with the fact that uh, Chess already fought. I mean, he fought Pettis, right? So uh, if, if this was such a serious thing, you'd think that maybe he would avoid that. That might make his case a little bit stronger here. Just uh, the timing of it, to some degree, is not surprising. McGregor's going to be fighting in a few weeks against Habib Nurmagomedov, so maybe that's trying to throw things off a little bit with Connor. But either way, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things, man. I, I get it from Chess's perspective, but at the same time, I mean, this is going to be something that he'll never live down, and, and fans are just going to completely turn on this guy uh, for, for what happened. Not to say he doesn't have the right to, to sue McGregor, but uh, it's just gonna it's really gonna be tough to be a fan of his going forward just from the way MMA fans are uh, towards fighters and you know especially Connor of all people uh, that he's suing. Joe, I mean to us it seems like okay, it's Connor McGregor doing something crazy, this a little crazier than than normal. But for the people involved, it seems as if they were affected much more than than we would anticipate. If you hear anybody speak about Rose Nama Yunus, they say that it still affects her. She doesn't go out in public a lot. Are you buying that? Uh, well, I'm buying it from the Rose Namajunas perspective. Uh, I also personally don't have any issue with Kiesa suing at all. I mean, uh, you know, he wasn't – I don't know. But, well, the Barclays Center, you could sort of uh, go after. I don't know how much he's going to win at that portion there. But in terms of going after McGregor, um, you know, I, I could see obviously him getting something out of that. And, you know, if – I guess from James' perspective, what James just mentioned, um, you know, with, with Connor competing against – we're going to have real soon. It's affecting Conor McGregor a little bit. It may not affect him at all. I think it is. He is human. And Kiesa's perspective might be like, you know what, dude? I was getting ready for a fight. You did this to me, and I'm going to do it to you. I'm going to hurt your pocketbook. It may not be much in your pocketbook, but if I can get some money out of this, I'm going to get some money out of it. And you know, the whole the whole Rose thing um, that's disturbing. I feel bad for her because you know she's she's come out many times talking about the demons that she has to deal with uh, mentally all the time. So she didn't need that sort of stress or that sort of hassle to the point where, you know, when, when Pat Berry is posting stuff about Rose online that they're finally getting out, uh, Rose is, you know, smiling, having a good time, that's good to see. But, you know, there was a lot of people, like you said, Sean, that were affected, um, that were in that bus, that were affected by Conor McGregor's actions. So, 
uh, I think of Ray Borg and stuff like that. I mean, it's just it's it's unfortunate, but you know, sometimes when you operate or, or, or you, I guess, your rhythm to the to the beat of your own drum, you walk to the beat of your own drum. You think you can get away with whatever you want, and unfortunately for Connor, that ain't gonna happen. So we'll see. He's got to and he's got to fight Habib Nurmagomedov. So yeah, James, you were there uh, that that week. What was the feeling when when it all unfolded? Because there, there were a, there was a lot going on. I mean, Conor McGregor saw his buddy get cornered and hopped a flight, an overseas international flight, to get here to do this. And then now now all this is unfolding. I don't buy Kiesa saying, oh, I missed out on a title shot. No, he didn't. In no way, shape, or form did he miss out on a title shot. There are probably five or six guys in that title picture. He was not one of them to begin with. But he did end up with with glass in his eye. He, he did get pulled from that fight. So to that degree, I, I do buy it. But but what was the feeling there that week? It was just a really weird feeling. I actually, you know, from from my perspective, I did the media day. I was walking back to the fighter hotel because I was going to play some uh, some video games with Calvin Cater uh, back in his hotel. And I get a, a message actually from Calvin's manager saying, dude, did you see what happened? And I, I had no idea if it was like a scuffle or whatever. And then, of course, I get to the fighter hotel and there's police everywhere. There, it, it looked like a, a crime scene or something like that. Uh, this is just at the fighter hotel. This isn't even where the incident took place. And, uh, you know, I, I remember going up the stairs and uh, running into to Tyson Chartier, who's Calvin's manager. Anthony Pettis was there. And we basically, uh, you know, saw some video of what had happened. And it was just, it was surreal. It was kind of, it kind of put just a damper on the whole week uh, just with, with what had happened. And, you know, seeing uh, this mega card, uh, you know, sort of fall apart. And then you have Connor and, and everything else. It was kind of like a scary uh, feeling to, to be a part of all that. And, uh, you know, just, just to witness it, you just see all these cop cars everywhere um but but as far as uh, you know the implications i mean uh, yeah this is it, it just it really put a damper on that card big time because you had so many people removed from the card and then of course uh you know you had uh, other factors outside of that but it was just it really just uh put put a sour taste on that event which should have been one of the best events this year but now all we're going to talk about like we are here is the dolly incident funny you mentioned the calvin cater thing did my first video game stream this week, James. Saw that. I like that. Very impressive. It, it was a work in progress. We'll get it going, but I would like to make Fightful Gaming a thing that's going on. And if you guys want to check out more, uh, James has actually done several gaming-themed uh, videos with UFC fighters. We have a playlist up on YouTube.com slash Fightful right now. Make sure you all subscribe. Leave us a thumbs up. Spread the word. Our MMA section still growing. James Lynch, a big part of that. So make sure you all click the FightfulMMA.com exclusives tab. You'll see stories, interviews from him as well. UFC 228, again, post-show all over Fightful.com. Make sure you all check it out. Tyron Woodley, in dominant fashion, beat Darren Teal. I'll say this about my prediction. Darren Teal didn't get taken down. <laughs> he got scooted. He got put on his ass. He laid one of the all-time goose eggs in a UFC championship fight, in my estimation, nothing happened in the first round. But as it turns out, Tyron Woodley did more of nothing or less of nothing. So therefore, he won the round. But then in round two, he came out, landed a big shot, followed Teal down with some some great ground and pound. And Teal looked like he was begging to get Darsh to Braboed. Joe, I get the feeling Darren Teal, the next time we see him, will be at middleweight. Hey, you know what? That's a that's still fifty fifty in my book because he might have a, a situation where it's like, you know what? I still have an opportunity uh, to climb up that mountain quicker at one seventy than I do at one eighty five. Although uh, he's ma- he's made a name for himself now, so either division he wants to compete in, he'll be fine. Uh, I would like to see him at one hundred eighty five pounds. Enough with this whole uh, cutting down to one seventy. Um, but you know what a performance by by Tyron Woodley. I mean, I went into this fight here. Uh, took a little flack from some friends and family and just people in general saying, how do you think Woodley's going to beat Till? He's got no shot. I said, wow, he's going to just keep taking him down at will, like I said on the podcast. Then one way or another, he's going to finish Darren Till. I mark my words, he will finish Darren Till. Now, that's not me being uh, you know, overly predictive. I don't have crystal balls, guys. It's just a matter of I thought in this fight here, Darren Till, and I, again, I, I mentioned it last week, just looking at his opponents leading up to the – even had the victory over Steven Thompson. I just think Teron Woodley, although the one thing that I was worried about, guys, the most that I forgot to mention last week was the age gap, the youth factor that Darren Till had. That had me worried on fight day when I was looking at some of the numbers. I'm like, ooh, that's right. 
the youth factor. That could be another reason why people are are so heavy on Darren Till. But it was the hype. It was the hype around Darren Till and the fact that Tyron Woodley wasn't finishing guys or just wasn't having exciting fights. People forget how dominant and how powerful this guy is. Now they also know he's got quite the submission game. The three big questions for me, James, going into this fight was Tyron Woodley's shoulder. How healthy was it? The layoff and his age, 36, which it's it's wild to even think that 36 is maybe over the hill. Not for Tyron Woodley. He answered all those questions Saturday. He certainly did. Uh, vintage performance here from Tyron Woodley, the type of Tyron Woodley we saw in Strike Force. Uh, we saw a bit in the UFC. I mean, he's got those wins over Lawler and Dung Young Kim, and you know, just impressive wins where he comes out guns a blazing. And, and that's what was on display in this fight. Uh, th- this was just uh, the, the perfect scenario for Tyron Woodley. He goes out there, he makes a statement. I mean, this was a, a risky fight to some degree, just with the sense you had an undefeated guy in Darren Till fighting Tyron Woodley, and you have this Colby Covington fight in, in the you know in the wings, a fight that had been built up pretty well. And this was a risk. I mean, if he would have lost, I mean, would that fight have ever happened? To me, that's an interesting fight for that welterweight division. But uh, I I think, you know, we we know how good Woodley is. And I think we know that Till is just not at that level yet. I know he beat, you know, on the scorecards, he technically beat Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Very close fight. I think some people, including myself, scored it the other way. But at the very least, I think we know that Till isn't at the top right now. I mean, this was Tyron Woodley's fight from the opening bell. Uh, You know, you mentioned, uh, I think you mentioned it there, that that he barely, I don't think he threw a single strike or anything in this fight. And it just shows how good and and how there are levels to this, uh, you know, this this, uh, welterweight division. And Woodley went out there and, and like I said, put on a a signature uh, performance. And uh, yeah, he set himself up with what we would think is a uh, Colby Covington fight, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, Colby Covington seems the natural matchup. Dana White says that fight is next. I don't think there's any reason to strip Colby Covington of a championship when he's the interim champion facing the 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 full, I can't call him the undisputed champion, but the full-on champion. And I know a lot of people have said Covington's already been stripped. Well, according to UFC's official rankings, he's not. They still have him listed as interim champion. That's what we'll go by. Uh, for me, Covington is the the one that makes sense. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson has thrown his hat in the ring, and all due respect to Wonderboy Thompson, and uh, thanks for interviewing with Fightful.com, but you've won one of your last four fights. Two of those were title shots. The last fight was an all-time boring fight with Darren Teal. I don't think that's the way to go. I think Colby Covington makes sense. It's going to be the bigger fight. It's going to be the more interesting fight, and it, it just makes sense. It makes sense to go that route. Uh, Joe, what do you see next for Woodley? Is it Covington? Yeah, I think it's Covington. I mean, as much as, as my bias wants to see Kamara Usman get that title shot, it's going to be Covington. I think Covington is the guy that deserves it, obviously, because he does have that interim championship uh, wrapped around his waist. He was given to it. it was he, he earned it with his victory over RDA. And at the same time, the UFC, as you can see on the website, on the Fighter Rankings website, they haven't taken that bracket, interim champion and bracket, off of his name. So uh, if he's the interim champ, he should have had this fight now, but obviously with the whole situation with the surgery, and he won't be ready probably till uh, November. I'd like to see Tyron take him on. I'd like to see that fight just get rid of that interim championship once it's all said and done. Have an undisputed champion, although Tyron yeah. Woodley to me is the undisputed champion at 170 pounds. Uh, although all the GSP fans are like, no, 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 GSP gave up that belt. Tyron is the champ. That's it. Just get over it. Um, I, it's a great fight in my opinion. I think it's a great matchup. And believe it or not. Um, Tyron Woodley put on a performance on Saturday night versus a guy he didn't overly state he was too motivated to beat. He's motivated against Colby Covington. He yeah. really wants to fight Colby Covington. So it'd be interesting to see what kind of performance he'd put on uh, against Colby, especially that he's motivated. Would his emotions be too entrenched, or would he just fight the way he usually fights? Very cerebral, very methodical, very I'm not going to do anything until it presents itself, and then I'll take it from there, because that's what happened with Till. So uh, that's the fight. That's the fight that I want to see. And then Kamaro, slowly but surely, will get his shot. I think he's just one win away. He's one win away from getting that title shot. So we'll see what happens with that. Women's straw weight. Boy, did it see a resurgence Saturday night. Like a one-night just revival. <clears throat> On the FX prelim main event, you had Tatiana Suarez, who UFC clearly thinks a lot of. And her record as I've mentioned, is very deceiving. It's 7-0, and but she's got three fights on the Ultimate Fighter, two amateur fights that happened within months of her pro debut. So since 2014, she's had, I think, uh, 12 fights. Now, those two fights that we mentioned on Tough last week, J.J. Aldrich, Kate Jackson, those are high-level wins, high-level finishes, I think. What she went out and did against Carla Esparza, she dragged a former UFC champion 
into deep waters, held her under, under and just drowned her. There was nothing that Esparza could do. And I thought Esparza has been on one of the best runs of her career, honestly, against uh, Morose, Calvillo, and even Gedalia. I thought that uh, she did well against Gedalia. <clears throat> and for Tatiana Suarez to do that and out-wrestled a woman who a few years ago on Tough people were like, how, how will anybody overcome her wrestling? Not an issue for Tatiana Suarez, who I think took bronze a couple different times in the world championships. And then afterwards, I had said during the show on Twitter, Tatiana Suarez, no matter what, needs to call out Rose Namajunas. Needs to do it. She did it, Joe. She said, Rose, you might as well put that title in my mailbox. That's not something we see a lot of out of the women's divisions because look at the state of all of them. All you have to do is win convincingly and ask. Yeah, I agree. And I think it was great that she did say that. The only thing that that bothered me about that fight, uh, and this is not a shot towards you, Sean, at all. I hope you don't take this personal. sir. Um, (laughs) In terms of even the, the broadcast crew, including talking about the UFC matchmakers, while this fight was going on, was already saying, you know, she should be, she be asking for a title shot. She should be, uh, you know, do, and she hasn't even defeated Esparza yet. And there was nothing more inside me that was saying, please, Esparza, pull off the victory. Please, Esparza, do something to, to turn the tide just to silence all the people that have already said that Tatiana Suarez is winning this fight as if comebacks in MMA have never happened before. Um, that kind of drives me nuts until the actual fight is actually over. I don't like when people talk about this person should get a title shot or this person's the next in line, blah, blah. Let the fight happen. Just let's let's just see what happens first. Uh, but that was a dominant performance. She deserves it. And then afterwards, you know, Sean, you and I have been talking about it for years. There's the, the one time you need to say something is in that post-fight interview with John Anik or Joe Rogan. That's the time you need to call out your opponent. And I think she did a masterful job in doing so. Yeah, they do do they do the uh, booking. I mean, they were booking her against Joanna and Jacek before the fight ended. No, it's like no, if if Jessica Andrade doesn't one up her later on in the night, then we're talking about Suarez as as the title challenger. However, Andrade did one up her in violent fashion. Carolina Kavolkovich got her head snapped back, and Jessica Andrade wants to fight for this title. James, this seems like the healthiest we've seen this division in quite a while. And Joanna isn't isn't really in the picture. She could fight Suarez later this year. But if I'm her, I, I'm looking at the situation and I say, oh, maybe something else. But let's talk about the, the new faces. Well, new and re-emerging faces in this division. Yeah, it couldn't have been a better night for the strawweight division. You, you hit the nail on the head there. And it, and it appears that, I mean, from sort of the, some of the cryptic tweeting that we're seeing, uh, that, that Joanna might actually be fighting Valentina next for the for the title. I'm sure we can talk about that later. But right now, uh, you know, we need some new blood here. What's going on with Rose Namajunas? We don't know when she's going to return. I'll throw something at you guys here. What if Rose isn't ready to return anytime soon? Do you do an interim title between Jessica Andrade and Tatiana Suarez? I'm not against that fight. I mean, I think both of them really earned their keep, so to speak, uh, on Saturday. I mean, it really doesn't get any better. Suarez, to me, I mean, just look at how big she is for that division. I think that was part of the thing is that, you know, Esparza couldn't get a takedown or couldn't do anything with the wrestling because she was just over overtowered. I mean, it looked like it looked like uh, two different weight classes as far as two fighters competing against each other. And I think Suarez, you know, getting the finish there really sort of cemented the fact that she is uh, something special in that weight class. And then Andrade, like, how often do you ever see, like, a first-round knockout in a strawweight fight? Like, that just doesn't happen. And it's not just against, like, an up-and-coming fighter. I mean, this is Karolina Kovalkiewicz, who, you know, has only lost twice heading into this fight. One of them was against Joanna, who didn't even finish her in their five-round fight. So, very impressive win. I mean, you can't go wrong with either one at this point as far as fighting for a title. I think the, the UFC's got a, a good problem on their hands right now, especially, like I said, with Rose, potentially on the sidelines for quite some time. It didn't sound good uh, from the interview and uh, with Trevor Whitman and everything else. So, um, yeah, I, I I think great night for the strawweights and uh, good to see the women get some shine here. What's going on with Rose as of right now? I know that she hasn't fought since April since that week, actually. I know that she's faced issues stemming from that. 
Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I, your guess is as good as mine. I'm just going by what we're seeing with Trevor Whitman and, and everything else. Uh, it sounds really serious. And I mean, you can't put a timetable on something like this. It, it, mentally, you're not ready to go. Um, you know, that's that's that, that, that's a huge thing. It's not like an injury where you have a timetable of when things are going to get better. Yeah. When it's mental, uh, you don't really know. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I wish her all the best. But I mean, the division at the same time has got to move on. And the UFC, as we know, is not hesitant to uh, to make interim titles. So we'll see what happens. Exactly. And, and I hate the idea of more people losing championships that they didn't actually lose mm-hmm. because you've got like six people right now that, that have done that but speaking of that knockout you mentioned we don't see that a lot at women's strawway we don't see that a lot of other women period especially yeah. off of punches like sometimes off of head kicks but for a while ronda rousey was the only woman who had a flat out ko victory of that of that fashion in the ufc among women uh you, we spoke about it Joanna surveying the land, Joe. If I were her, I would say, get me in there with Valentina Shevchenko. And that is one of the most high-level MMA fights, women's MMA fights of all time, in my estimation. That would be absolutely ridiculous. I like James's idea, both Jessica and, and Tatiana competing for the for a potential interim title should Rose um, not be able to come back anytime soon. It just goes to show you guys how how the human brain and how mentally things can affect human beings because if you think about Rose Nama Yunus, a woman who is fighting inside of a cage with millions of people watching, she can go in there and do that no problem and perform and look absolutely majestic. But then something happens outside of the cage that has affected her so much that it's affecting her getting ready to compete for fights. It just goes to show you, I mean, to have the mental strength, people don't understand the mental strength and fortitude you have to have to become an elite mixed martial artist, let alone competing uh, in front of people, grassroots, let alone competing for the UFC, let alone competing for a title, let alone being a champion. That's who Rose Namajunas is. But right now it's so, it's so difficult for her to compete that it's absolutely crazy. Now, uh, a former competitor of her, a two-time competitor of hers, uh, Ioannia Jacek, tried to get into Rose's head mentally and wasn't able to do so. Rose was strong enough to do that. But with Ioana Jacek taking on someone like Valentina Shevchenko, that's a title fight that needs to happen yesterday because that that division, that that 125-pound division for the women, it's ridiculous that, you know, based on what happened, and I, I don't want to take shots uh, at anyone right now, but we need a champion and someone to defend that title ASAP because whether it's Ioana or someone like Valentina, it's another champion for the UFC, uh, another draw for, for viewership in terms of whether it's pay-per-view, whether it's something on a Fox show or, or a future ESPN show. I think it's super, super uh, important to make sure that they have a champion in that division, ASAP. I don't know what they're going to do uh, with, with Nico, if, if they're even going to cut her. I know they stripped her of the title, but you know something's got to get done here. And I do, I do want to say one other thing, guys, before we get back to, uh, to James giving his thoughts. Uh, and, uh, and Akhtar is watching from the UK. Uh, lots of fans from around the world joining us on Fightful, so that's freaking awesome, guys. Thanks for joining in all around the world, guys and girls. So the reason we're talking about this Joanna Valentina fight is because Nico Montano was hospitalized Friday, didn't make it to weigh-ins, was subsequently stripped of the title. She found out about it on Instagram, I have mixed feelings about this situation. She claims that the date was forced upon her, that she didn't want to fight. But if you listen to Valentina Shevchenko, Nico wasn't going to show up anyway. She was very unsurprised, yet disappointed, when this news emerged. And she's run into bullying accusations from Nico Montano. James, how do you feel about this whole situation? It's It's kind of a lot going on, but... To say that anybody was surprised that this fight didn't happen it would not be true. I mean, many of us expected this fight to not happen, Valentina included. Yeah, the whole thing is really weird. Uh, when it first happened, I mean, obviously my concern is on Nico, uh, you know, being hop- hospitalized. Let's see what, you know, what, what has come out of it. And since it's come out, we know that she was 25 pounds overweight heading into fight week. That's not good. And no. I know that you're on the Ultimate Fighter, uh, you know, last season. I know you're cutting weight all the time. So, you know, you're used to making weight. And I know that can take its toll. But I mean, that just is, I mean, if you're a champion, that is the cardinal sin. You do not come in overweight, especially 25 pounds. So I kind of, I'm with you. I have mixed feelings on this because I do feel for Nico. I think no one gave her a shot from the get-go with her injuries and everything else. And that whole situation, which happened with, you know, Ariel Hawani, where basically, uh, you know, it, it was said that she she didn't want to defend the title. And we find out later that she was injured and there's all this stuff. So I get it from that perspective. But at the same time, when you're 25 pounds overweight, that is just a bad look all around. And you're not going to win fans that way. And uh, I, I'm just really disappointed in the whole thing i'm not surprised they cut the you know they they stripped the title of her you got to defend this title 
title. She won it in December. We need this division to get moving. But I mean, it's it's just it's a bad look all around when when you're missing weight by that much. I mean, look at that followed around Johnny Hendricks forever. Remember when he missed weight even just barely in a couple of his fights, and that's what he was known for. And it was just a you know a big issue for him going forward. That's going to haunt Nico Montano for the rest of her career, unfortunately. And, and and it's really tough to to get the fans on your side at this point. So, um, yeah, that that's my thoughts. I mean, I, I wish she you know I hope she gets well. I hope they can figure something out. But it, it's just a bad look all around. And uh, from the Hawani thing where she was injured and. He said he she didn't want to defend the title. It could be both based on the trajectory of the way that things have gone. And if you're 150 pounds, Joe, maybe don't fight at flyweight <laughs> to begin with or walk around a little bit lighter. What do you make of this whole situation? Uh, walk around a bit lighter. You're a champion of the world. You That's know, a good point. Like you, It is your job to walk around lighter. It is part of your job to make weight the exact weight or under of the championship of the division you are the champion of. So um, again, nothing personal against Nico. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, just an absolute wonderful story and and a great girl. But in terms of her being a professional, everything is being challenged right now from the day she landed um, in Dallas, right? Like you just, you you can't be that far overweight. And then we can get into the conversation, of course, regarding what weight class each fighter should be in. And it's just a matter of time before, Andy Foster and the California State Athletic Commission uh, truly convinced the ABC that everybody should be going through water-based testing and every fighter scientifically, or at least with the test, should be placed in specific divisions and not be allowed to cut crazy amounts of weight because this is what happens. I don't even know why the UFC is not even backing this up. I mean, we could say it's not many examples, but there's a lot of examples, and this could all be changed if a fighter uh, can scientifically be proven that you should be in this division. So, um, I mean, enough's enough. You're a champion. You need to be walking around at the correct weight. If you're a champion and you can't make weight, you're not a professional, you should be stripped of the title. Sorry. Let's talk about my favorite thing about UFC 228, the goddamn Suleb stretch. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> One of them pulled off in a submission fashion in uh, UFC history. We had two on Saturday night. Aljamain Sterling and Zabit both did it. I saw some people calling it a pro wrestling stump puller. It's not the same on a stump puller. You go behind the head and then you pull up the knee. And really, if you want to escape that, you scoot your hips opposite the opposite direction of your opponent towards your knee, and that clears the head and you get out. With the Sulev stretch, you have them locked in. You have the hooks in like a rear naked choke. It blocks the hips. You have to clear a lot more than just your head to get out. Although there's a pro wrestling version that like Austin Aries uses where he figure fours the leg while he does a stump puller. But this is is much different. And two in one night, very surprising, very awesome. We're seeing it more and more. Joe, this has got to be a bit of a shocker. This is a pretty high-level submission to pull off. Oh, it's extremely high-level and good for, for Al Jermaine for getting it done and Zabit for getting it done. It's a brutal submission. I've, I used to try it in training every so often. Yeah. What's that? I said, yeah, it's it's tough too. Yeah, I've I've tried to pull it off in training, and I could tell you every time. I mean, I could probably count on one hand how many times I've tried to do it in training back in the day. But I could tell you this: every time I've tried it, I've lost position. It's not easy to do, and, and these guys made it look easy, and they did it in a high level UFC fight in the octagon. So they deserve uh, a ton uh, of accolades, considering the opponents they did it against as well. So. Man, it's it's a it's a fantastic looking submission, and it's like everything we talk about, Sean, and and now James. When we start seeing different things happening in the UFC, people will start making those changes. So Anderson Silva with the front kick to yeah. Vitor Belfort's face, people started using that. Uh, I thought at one point when Nico Price was was you know hammering what's his name in the face from the from his back, getting the knockout, people will start tr- try doing that. The calf kick, right? The calf kick, landing that that shin across the calf. A lot of people are doing it now. So every time we start seeing these moves being pulled off in the high levels of mixed martial arts in the UFC, we'll probably start seeing other people doing it as well moving forward. So that'll be fun to see. Anytime I've ever tried it, person slides me off their back and <laughs> I end up with somebody in my guard if I'm lucky. Yeah. Uh, James, Diego Sanchez, Jim Miller with two big wins. The thing I took most away from these wins was Alex White saying that he doesn't watch MMA and then getting rear naked choked by Jim Miller, which seems remarkably appropriate if you've never watched Jim Miller fight. Oh, 
Yeah, that that was brutal, and and I I don't know if you saw, but Alex White, uh, you know, head, heading into the fight, uh, he had like a hernia issue. He had like his Ooh. insides coming out or something crazy like that. So I don't know if he was even one hundred percent to take this. But uh, is this two thousand six, guys? I mean, what's going on here? Jim Miller, Diego Sanchez getting wins here. This is awesome. Uh, that, this this was just sort of icing on the cake. You know, uh, what, what a great moment. Every I don't know how many people I saw, uh, you know, say Diego Sanchez is going to get knocked out in the. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try first round and everything like that and he went out there and he dominated craig white for yeah. three rounds i mean what a win this was um you know personally i'd like to see him just go out on top on this win i don't think it's going to get as, as, as good as it as this uh, on saturday and then jim miller what can you say i i believe he had the record uh, it's 30 fights in the ufc or tied the record or something like yeah. that uh, just another good win glad to see him get back in the win column a lot of times when we look at these guys these veterans when they're on losing streaks we, we forget the guys that they're fighting and i think when you see them fight guys that are a little bit lower they, they can shine and, and that's what we saw here in miller and uh and diego sanchez and uh, it was just great to see, man. I, 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 you know, I always have a hot, soft spot for the veterans. Well, Diego has the power of cold fission and stevia from Dan Quinn, Dan Quinn. so he's Any not Dan retiring. Quinn reference on the show is awesome. I love that. I got to squeeze him in there, man. Yeah. I got to squeeze him in. Diego prevents his first ever three fight losing streak. Jim Miller, this was a favorite fight. Mm-hmm. He had lost four in a row. You know, if you get a fourth one, they, they like you. He's been battling Lyme disease. Says he finally feels great. I'm glad to see Jim Miller back in the saddle. Uh, Joe, your thoughts? Oh, man. Every time we call these guys veterans, I feel so old because I was <laughs> there before they made their UFC debuts. So it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy to see, but at the same time, it's, it's wonderful to see. Uh, it does, I know, I mean, James made a good point there. Alex White doesn't watch MMA. Like, dude, <laughs> like, stop. Whenever I hear fighters in general, because Cowboy used to say it all the time, a lot of yeah. fighters, like, oh, I don't watch my opponents. Uh, I don't know, man. If I was stepping into a cage to fight somebody, I want to know anything and everything about every single one of their trends. And I'm not leaving it up to my coaches only uh, to know that stuff there, right? But yeah, Diego Sanchez and Jim Miller getting their wins. uh, Good for both of them. I I think it's absolutely fantastic. And again, it just goes to show you that you can never count anyone out in a fight. I mean, I was was conversing with with somebody um, on LinkedIn before the event. Uh, and they asked me flat out, what do you think of the, of the Tyron Woodley and Darren Till fight? Uh, I think Darren Till's going to knock him out. And I was like, based on what? Because what you've seen him do against Cowboy, Cowboy isn't the same as what we've seen before. Uh, the, 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 the fight with Darren, listen, a fight's a fight. I can tell you, Sean Ross Sapp can tell you, James Lynch can tell you what may happen in the fight, what we foresee based on, on what history has told us. But things change. Things change mm-hmm. in a fight. And as soon as a punch is landed, a.k.a. Jessica Andrade and, and Carolina, the game changes. So Diego Sanchez, Jim Miller, Jim Miller just needs to get your back for one second. Diego Sanchez needs to just run past the referee, and you realize you're in a fight. So things yeah. change. So uh, I'm so happy for both those two guys. And again, mixed martial arts, man. Anything can happen, and it probably will. Worth noting, uh, Diego Sanchez has 28 fights. Jim Miller has 30. 29 if you include Diego's tough fight. But the the thing that makes this stand out to me is, Diego Sanchez has been fighting in the UFC since April 2005. Jim Miller just since October 2008. So we're talking about like a three and a half year difference there. 
Uh, we've got about a year difference between the first Triple G Canelo fight and their highly anticipated rematch. Joining us now is lead Fightful MMA.com boxing writer, Carlos Toro. Carlos, how are you? Sean, James, uh, Joe, I'm doing pretty good. It's Joe's been a long time since we've done a podcast together since up, the uh, Mayweather McGregor fight. <laughs> Mayweather McGregor meant 13 months ago. It felt like forever since we did that podcast here on Fightful. Carlos quickly becoming an, uh, a boxing insider. Tons of interviews. And on the wrestling side, you've seen him interview Sexy Star, Pentagon. So make sure you all follow him at Carlos Toro 360 We have Triple G versus Canelo 2 this Saturday. Myself and Carlos will have a live post show immediately following. Carlos, this is the biggest fight boxing can experience right now, especially after last year's result. What are you looking for out of this? You know, the whole story about this second fight is that, you know, both guys have made, you know, they, they need to make certain adjustments to their game plan for Golovkin is that, you know, he needs to get a better start. For Canelo is certainly finding a way to further exploit Golovkin's weaknesses. And just the animosity between the two have just increased to un, insurmountable levels compared to what it was in the first fight. And they are promising fireworks you know, even more so in this uh, rematch. And the way I, I look at this fight is that I think this fight, the rivalry has now gone to a very personal level. Oscar De Loya can tell you that, you know, I've never seen Canelo Alvarez this angry before. And I think Abel Sanchez, Golovkin's trainer, can tell you the exact same thing. I think the way these two just have this, you know, hate or I guess venomous dislike for each other is certainly you know, a recipe for a really good fight. You know, the first fight, you know, right before after the you said this could be, you know, had the second coming of Hagler Hearns too, you know, at the time being like that. But I think in this one, I think there's a much bigger chance for it to be something really special compared to the first one. And I love that first fight. It, it was remarkable. Do you think we'll see more fireworks? I think so. I think so. I think one of the major problems from Golovkin is that, you know, you look at those first four rounds, the first three, four rounds, Golovkin didn't really have that great of a start, at least in terms of throwing punches. You know, the first couple of rounds, he threw, he threw somewhere between 30 and 35 punches total. And, you know, that's not something we see out of Golovkin. Golovkin throws somewhere between 55 to 70 punches around. And I think part of the problem is Golovkin kind of respected a little too much uh, Canelo's power, and every time I noticed Canelo was up against the ropes, especially early on, that's where Canelo has a bit of a tendency to have, you know, weaknesses in terms of defending his chin. And Golovkin didn't really do that, and he also didn't really attack the body at all. Only landed eight body shots in that first fight. And I think Golovkin and Abel Sanchez have to understand there has to be a much better, you know, much better start, at least offensively. $85 price tag. Carlos, one thing, um, Sean, if we remember that fight, guys, I, I remember coming when that fight was all done. I said, well, what was Canelo thinking? Canelo just wasn't his, even his output throughout the whole fight wasn't that great because he had the opportunity to make Triple G pay a bunch of times and he didn't do so. I mean, are we going to see a way more aggressive Canelo in this fight, you think, Carlos? Or, or, or is it just going to be, nah, you know what, same old, same old, I'll wait for my opportunity and then I'll knock him out? You know, I think there will be, I think we'll see a more aggressive Canelo. At the very least, punches, he's certainly going to be, you know, coming out out of the woodwork, looking for the knockout from the first round. We didn't really quite see that in the first few rounds of that first fight. Canelo was sort of more trying to see what Golovkin can do and see where he can pick and choose his spots to attack. And I think from we've seen this in Golovkin's last few fights, whether it be against Kel Brook, or Daniel Jacobs, or even Canelo to an extent, Golovkin does have certain tendencies where he leaves himself quite open whenever he goes in the uh, on the offensive. And part of the problem is Canelo, towards the end of the fight, there was one particular moment where Canelo landed, I think it was uh, a left hook that just absolutely would have clocked anyone. And Golovkin just sort of took that and took it like a champ and something we've never seen before because we've never seen Golovkin take a punch like that. But I think at, I think we'll see Canelo fight these first few rounds, similar to how he was in the last 
four rounds, desperate, angry, looking to find anything to sort of even stun Golovkin. I don't know if knocking out Golovkin is a possibility, but you can certainly try and hurt him and at the very least win some rounds, which, you know, at the start of the first fight, that's kind of what Canelo did. And Golovkin was having a wait-and-see approach, which I don't think we're going to see that in the second fight. $85 price tag for this pay-per-view Huge price tag. Is that reflective of the stars? Just inflation, the way the pay-per-view is going. Uh, some people, you know, a few years ago, we had people saying pay-per-view is dead. That's not the case, as we've seen. What do you think that's a reflection of? You know, I, I think it's a number of things. One, I think it's, you know, Oscar De La Hoya was maybe looking at that Mayweather-McGregor fight, and they saw how expensive it was, you know, close to $100. And it still did more than $4 million buy. So I think... De La Hoya is thinking, all right, if people are willing to pay for this, $100, if we charge them maybe just even a little less, but more than the first fight, then it's really not going to matter in terms of the final buy rate because people, whatever the price tag is going to be, people are going to buy this one way or another. And you can certainly make that case for the hardcore fans. The casual fans is a completely different story. But I think at the same time, you look at this pay-per-view card, and it's absolutely one of the best pay-per-view cards for – uh, in the United States in a very, very long time. I mean, you compare the cards for the first fight and you compare it to the second fight, it's night and day. This card is unbelievably stacked. You know, if it were up to me, I think $85 is, you know, the absolute perfect price for all of these four fights, which alone they can main event an HBO card on their own. But now we're getting basically four main event caliber fights on one card. Also a WBO junior middleweight title fight. This has, we will have full coverage of this on Fightful.com, FightfulMMA.com, Saturday night, September 15th, Triple G versus Canelo 2, live post show immediately after the event. Carlos, you all can follow him at Carlos Toro 360 Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. And Sean, it'll be exciting to do another podcast with you after the Canelo Triple G fight. And, uh, Joe, great seeing you again, and James, uh, awesome meeting you for the first time ever. Vice versa, man. Great uh, great analysis. Looking forward to your coverage. If you all have yet to check out Carlos's coverage, please do so. He does a bi-weekly Fightful Boxing newsletter. It's great for casual fans. It's great for hardcore fans. Also, we have the benefit of him being bilingual, so he interviews a lot of Spanish-language-speaking wrestlers. You don't get that at other wrestling websites, MMA websites, boxing websites. Well, some of these other jobbers are sitting in the corner waiting <laughs> to hear some English. He's over there speaking to these fellows in Spanish. And getting James, this- by the way, Sean, James, uh, two Canadians on the card here. Brandon Cook is also competing in that junior middleweight title fight. And David Lemieux, he's fighting Gary O'Sullivan. Uh, one thing I noticed, there isn't an American. My, no Americans oh. in America? <laughs> I'm going to burn my Nikes. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Cut the tops off of my socks over this. <laughs> So UFC 228, good show, a great, a great, I think a, a boost, a kick, because at Fightful.com, I'll admit, my attention has primarily had to focus since roughly WrestleMania season on wrestling. We had WrestleMania, Greatest Royal Rumble, Money in the Bank, a an, an NXT before that, had NXT before SummerSlam. You had SummerSlam. Impact had a great impression on pay-per-view. You got Ring of Honor events. All the time. New Japan coming to America. Then all in. It seems as if throughout the fall, we're seeing a resurgence in MMA. Conor McGregor's back. Nate Diaz is back. They're in MSG. Who knows what direction this main event at MSG will go. You have talk. When will John Jones come back? This wasn't a big event, Joe. But it seemed like it kicked off a sense of optimism. Which is strange because the UFC is an all-year-round sport. Uh, I remember people joking with me at Sportsnet saying, "Is there ever an, is there like an, an end of season for the UFC? Like, is it twenty-four? Like, is it every single week?" And yeah, so the opportunity sometimes, in my opinion, um, and James, I don't know if you remember Mike English back in the day uh, at Sportsnet. He would always say, "What's going on in the UFC world right around the Major League Baseball All Star, right? That the All Star Game." That is the opportune time for the UFC to have major events because realistically speaking, the Major League Baseball All-Star game is the only real thing happening in sports at that time of the year 
in North America. That week, week before, would be an absolute great time for the UFC to have a massive pay-per-view event because it's that and baseball. That's it. The rest of the year, we start getting into fall. The UFC has to up their game. NFL, NHL, NBA starting soon, right? They have to make sure that these events uh, are, are, are on par. And they're really lucky with Conor McGregor coming back, you know, soon. So it's it's exactly what they want. And John Jones, I mean, did he, I think you just mentioned something uh, earlier today, Sean, that he signed a, a uh, supplement deal. Supplement deal. Wow. The irony. All right. The irony of that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, James, we, we have these these at least two big shows coming up, and we're really going to probably see the drawing power on pay-per-view of Nate Diaz tested because he will be a focal point of this UFC 230 show. But, I mean, still, this is two bigger pay-per-views than we've seen in quite some time. Really, the, the biggest story in MMA this year might be Conor McGregor's bus attack. Yeah, it could be. And and let's not forget, we got to hope that Nate Diaz, you know, shows up. I mean, it, there seems to be some issues. I don't know if you've seen some recent interviews on T- TMZ. Of course. I mean, that that's a factor. It's a Diaz brother. You got to worry about, are they going to show up to the press conference? Are they going to show up to the fight? So hopefully it all pans out. I mean, on paper, this looks great. And they still haven't announced the main event. Like you said, I think Diaz and Poirier took offense to that, that they feel that they have enough drawing power to headline a card in New York. So we'll see what happens. But I agree with you. I mean, this, this was a great card this weekend. This is exactly what the UFC needs. We got a card this weekend that I don't think people really care too much about. And it's, you know, we, we were really the focus now is on the McGregor fight. I mean, that's the next pay-per-view. And I think everyone's curious to see this mega fight and how it's going to pan out. And that entire card at 229 is going to be uh, something spectacular. So I think it's just, uh, there's a lot of optimism right now. And the other, you know, the other name we didn't mention is George St. Pierre. I mean, he could potentially come back. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens there. Let's talk about that show this weekend. UFC <laughs> Moscow, Alexi Olenek, 41 years old taking on Mark Hunt, 44 years old. Mark Hunt has one win in his last four fights. Alexi Olenek has three wins in his last four fights. He is the master of the Ezekiel choke. He gets a lot of scarf hold. Like To me, that bodes poorly for Mark Hunt. However, Mark Hunt has those big hams on the sides of his wrists that uh, tend to fly at your face and knock you out. James, what do you see happening here? I mean, to me, it, the fact that it is five rounds and it's not like Mark Hunt's fighting a wrestler like he did in Curtis Blades in his last fight, I think there's a very good chance we could see another Mark Hunt knockout. I think even at his age, he can still land those bombs. And if you're Olenek, I mean, you hope for the choke. That's pretty much it. But the thing is, Mark Hunt hasn't been submitted in a very long time. And uh, it seems like he's improved that aspect of his game. So it's it's really going to go one of two ways. Hunt's either going to get the knockout or Olenek is going to get the submission. But I think the the you know I think Hunt getting the knockout is probably more likely over five rounds. I know it's in Russia. I know obviously Olenek's going to have uh, you know the home country on the side there but uh to me i just think mark hunt's gonna go I, i'm uh, by the way i'm notoriously bad at picking mark hunt fights uh i <laughs> although i did i did pick uh, curtis blades against him but um i i just I, I could just see something that you know hunt ends up getting uh you know a knockout and all of a sudden hashtag pride never die so there you go joe your thoughts on this main event fight when's the last time mark hunt was choked out uh yeah, that's a good question I'll give you uh, a hashtag yeah Never. 2010 uh, September 2010. September 2010. What did I miss? That's what I mean. No, he he got he got that arm, bar arm by bar. McCorkle. Yeah, McCorkle. Yeah, that was an arm bar. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a choke. No, Mark yeah, Hunt has no neck. And it's that's a good point, but <laughs> he's not true. getting choked out, in my opinion. The odds of him getting choked out are slim to none. Can it happen? Of course, it can happen. Uh, but I'm with James here. There's going to be a knockout. I think there's going to be a knockout. I think Mark Hunt. Uh, and you said, what'd you call him? He's got those two big hams on his, uh, on his, at the end of his hands there, Sean. Yeah. Those things are going to be flying provided again, Mark's 44, um, you know, his motivation. I mean, that whole lawsuit thing with the, with the UFC, but the guy's a beast. The guy's a gamer. The guy's a fighter. Um, my only concern is hopefully his travel schedule is perfectly fine. He's, he's okay with the time zone change. We already know he's there. Um, and other than that, I, I, I just, I, I can see a, a vintage, Mark Hunt performance. Will I be surprised if an Ezekiel choke is, is it gets taken on him? Yes, I will be. But stranger things have happened in MMA. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'd be surprised just because I, I was surprised in general when Olenek was able to pull off any in the UFC from that position. So he, I think he stays dangerous wherever he is. Big question mark around Nikita Krylov. He, this guy got Von Flew choked. 
But, I mean, he's grown a lot since then. Since getting Von Flew choked, which is embarrassing in its own right, he's won 9 of 10. He lost to Misha Serkinov in December 2016 and decided to test his worth and decided to take some money from the Russians and has won four fights in a row, including a win over Emmanuel Newton and went over Fabio Maldonado, has finished all of his fights outside of the UFC. He returns, fights Jan Blahovich, who has won three in a row. This is going to test how much of how, how real Krylov is because, you know, I have criticized his technical ability on numerous occasions, Joe, but if he wins this fight, I'm ready to talk about him in the top 10 of this division. Blahovich or Krylov? Uh, Blaho- or Krylov, rather. Yeah, well, Krylov seems to always surprise you and I every time he competes, right? You just never know what this guy's going to do. All the talent in the world, and then sometimes he shows it and sometimes he doesn't. So the fact that he's back, the fact that he's in the co-main event, uh, I think it's fantastic. And he doesn't have an easy fight with Jan. So uh, it, it remains to be seen what's going to happen. But yeah, if he does emerge victorious, um, Krylov, that is, how can we not talk about this guy potentially being uh, in the top 15 at least, right? I mean, I, I know Sam Alvey, Tyson Pedro, and Patrick Cummins have the last three spots there, but why not? James, your thought on Nikita Krylov's return and in a division where we need challengers. Yeah, this is a great opportunity for Krylov making his return to the UFC. And you look at his losses, their submissions. You know, Jan Blakovich is not exactly a submission guy per se. But here's the thing I look at. 30 career fights for Krylov, zero decisions. And Blakovich, as we know, Blakovich, I should say, uh, is, is a guy that goes to a decision a lot. And we saw that in his last fight against Jimmy Manoa. Um, this is a guy who can turn a, a really good fight into an ugly fight. He can, he can turn it into his world. And that does concern me a little bit that Krylov has knocked on the distance. And you've got a guy who is, you know, proven in, in that. I know it's only three rounds but uh this seems like an opportunity where there could be a spoiler and uh you know i know right now i think on the betting odds i believe uh, blakovich is a slight favorite here at minus 115 and or sorry uh krylov's a favorite actually slightly but yeah. uh, it's, it's a very close fight um uh right now at this point but uh i, I think there's an opportunity for an upset here it, but a best case scenario for the ufc is krylov goes out there and gets a first round finish and uh, we can start talking about uh why was this guy ever let go from the ufc after just one loss so um i think there's a good opportunity here for krylov but if i have to make a pick i'm going with the veteran here i'm going with Blakovich. speaking of the main event uh mark hunt is a minus 190 Olenek a plus 185 and the co-main event's Kind of a pick em. Arlovsky against Abdurakimov. Arlovsky plus 114. Abdurakimov minus 122. So pretty close there as well. Arlovsky, <laughs> we talked about those people who they buy extra fights, and you can tell the UFC likes them. He lost five fights in a row, came back and beat Junior Albini and Stefan Struve, lost a tie to Ivasa. We've not seen We've not seen him knock anybody out now since 2015 when he was in the middle of that career resurgence. I'm not ruling it out because it's Andre Arlovsky, and just when we think he's about to roll over and die, he doesn't roll over and die, and then he wins a couple fights in a row and earns himself four or five more. But uh, Abdurakimov was able to just violently finish Chase Sherman last year, but he spent some time out of the cage, and even before that, he had quite a layoff. He had, I think, 11 months off before that when he when he had faced uh, Derek Lewis. 37 years old, Arlovsky, 39 years old. James, how do you see this one going? This one is... This one's a close one in my estimation. Yeah, it's a coin flip. I mean, this could really go anyway. And then add in the fact it's heavyweight where, you know, anyone yep. can get finished type thing. Um, I mean, I, I just have a hard time picking Andre Arlovsky these days. Uh, you know, that tie to Evasa fight, I actually picked him to win that one. And it was just so disappointing because I felt it was a fight that he could have won. And uh, he just didn't end up getting it done. And to me, that was a, you know, prospect versus veteran matchup. And, and Arlovsky failed the test. So I don't really know what's left for him. I don't know what his motivation is at this point to keep fighting. You know, he's had opportunities at the title. He was a former champion. And you've got a, a dual Rahimov, who's, you know, of course, has, has had the layoff, but he's a guy that seems to be able to, you know, surprise. I mean, to go out there and finish Chase Sherman in the first round, very impressive. Um, I'm going to go Shamil in this fight. I think he uh, ends up getting it done here. But uh, that's just more of a fact that I just can't trust Andre Olofsky anymore. I just think, uh, you know, what, his best days are probably behind him at this point. Jay, or Joe, how do you feel? I'm going well, to echo what James just said, right? It's just a matter of you don't know which Arlovsky is going to show up because time, uh, you know, Father Time is catching up with him. He's lucky he's in heavyweight. Um, I think, if anything, James, Arlovsky should have the speed advantage in this fight. If he can use that speed, stick and move, um, it's a 50-minute fight. It's not a 25-minute fight. So he could use that to his advantage. But let's remember, 
Um, Shamil did almost go, well, he didn't go the distance with Derek Lewis. He got, uh, you know, finished off with TKO in the fourth round, but he has gone the distance with, and he came back uh, almost a year later to destroy Chase Sherman. So we'll see what happens here. I think he's got the power to finish Orlovsky. That's pretty obvious, but uh, if Orlovsky can't use that speed and that footwork, he could be in big, big trouble. So yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Shamil as well. We have some longtime UFC veterans in Tiago Alves and CB Dalloway, both booked in separate fights on the show. But what stands out most to me are the two very clear showcase fights on this show. Tysimov versus Green. Green a couple weeks after he was involved in an accident where someone died. Yeah. And then Hobilov against Cajun Johnson, who I'm shocked got this fight in general because of his outspoken nature about I mean, he was outspoken. He showed up at a CM Punk Q&A once hosted by UFC and trashed Punk for even being in the company and then his his involvement in Project Spearhead. James, I know you've been able to talk to Cajun Johnson uh, quite a bit over the last year or so. I'm shocked he got this fight after Makachev, but it's very clear what the UFC is doing here. Well, I think it's pretty obvious what they're doing. And uh, if you watch the interview with uh, Cajun here on uh, Fightful, you can uh, hear his thoughts. But basically, I mean, he knows it. Uh, they, they are just trying to get rid of his contract at this point. I mean, he he said it. This is the last fight on there. He's got to win. And he thinks even if he does win, there's gonna there's not going to be a very good chance that he'll get re-signed here. So he's been uh, obviously very vocal about the union stuff and, and everything else. So this is just another bad matchup for him. I mean, you know, you said these two fights are showcase fights. I think this whole card is a showcase fight. Those two oh, veterans yeah. you mentioned in Alves and Dalloway, I think those are setup fights. I mean, this is basically UFC versus m1 and i think this is a uh, this whole card is just a showcase of the russian talent that's out there and i think we're going to see a lot of russians get in the win column here as the ufc really ventures into that market as it's been pretty successful just with some of the promotions that have uh, you know run shows out there in the past but back to johnson and habilov i mean this is a bad matchup for johnson obviously uh, you know habilov can just go out there and out grapple him uh, for three rounds and for tysimov i mean this is one of the best lightweights in the world it's just the fact he never fights because of his visa issues and everything else and he's fighting a guy in des green who i love des I mean, you know, Joe knows this as well, you know, with Des fighting for Titan. I mean, he's a great guy, but I mean, are you going to be able to, to, to beat a guy in Tysimov when you, you know, went to a decision with Gleason Tebow uh, in, in your last fight? I mean, it, it's just not, there's nothing about Des Green that really screams to me that he's going to go and uh, take care of business there. So uh, yeah, I think, I think you're going to see a lot of Russians in the win column and I see Habilov and Tysimov getting impressive dominant victories here on Saturday. I'm excited to see Ramazan Emiv fight. Uh, also Jordan Johnson against and- Adam Yandiv. Jordan's first fight back, uh, first fight at middleweight, middleweight I believe, yep. after he won three fights in a row at light heavyweight. Joe, if you win three fights in a row at light heavyweight, usually after number four, you're knocking on the door saying, where's my title shot in this landscape? But he's moving to middleweight, and he's facing uh, another undefeated fighter. Does Jordan Johnson get it done? To me, this is the most one of the most intriguing fights on the entire show and probably one of the most high-level fights on the entire show. Yeah, it's interesting to note that the move to middleweight is happening in this manner because you figure he would continue doing what he's doing at 205 pounds. But I guess for something, he says, you know what, I can do this at 185. I guess I, I, don't, I don't know because of the two divisions right now, the more prolific one, um, you know, or is he looking at Daniel Cormier and saying, I can't beat that guy anytime soon. And by the time I even get a chance, maybe, um, you know, it's John Jones that comes back. I don't know what he's thinking. Maybe he thinks he can do better uh, against Whitaker or something like that eventually. I don't know. But uh, it, it, this is a good fight. And like you said, there's a lot of showcase fights here. Um, you know, the Des Green fight, if Des can't use his wrestling, Tyson Moff's really going to piece him apart, in my opinion. And the Cajun Johnson getting Hobbylove fight, that's, in my opinion, the UFC's final Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, middle fingers to um, to Cajun Johnson saying, here you go. We're taking you all the way to Russia just so you can get a beating or a supposed beating, and then we're going to say goodbye after that, win or lose. And Jordan Johnson competed as an amateur heavyweight, and I'm pretty sure he wrestled at like 215 or something like that. Yeah, I, I got some inside info on Jordan Johnson here, actually. I was supposed to interview him uh, heading into this fight, and uh, I have a feeling, this is my theory, um, you know, I, I don't have 100% proof on this, but I have a bit of a feeling that this was Yadilev who wanted this fight at 85. Uh, Jordan Johnson, from what I'm hearing, is not happy with the UFC right now. I think they're going through contract negotiations at this point. I know Johnson, not the most exciting guy in the octagon. He wins a lot of decisions. He's a wrestler. That is a recipe for disaster. Just ask Jeremy yes. Kennedy. Uh, you know, him not resigning with the UFC. Um, it sounds to me like he's sort of being forced into this fight, and I think that's why you're seeing him drop down to 85 uh you wouldn't get into specifics with me but he just said that um 
yeah, that, that he's just not happy with the UFC. And this would point to that, you know, why is he moving down? You know, he wanted to fight at heavyweight against Adam Milstead. I don't know if people knew that either. So why is he moving down to 85? I think he's kind of, his hand might be forced here. And one other interesting tidbit, Johnson obviously became a father earlier this year. Johnson no longer at Alliance MMA. He is back in Arizona training at Power MMA with guys like Ryan Bader and everywhere else. So he's, he's back at home getting a different look. Does he win this fight? I don't know. We'll see what happens. He's undefeated. But uh, at the very least, uh, you know, it sounds like he's, he's not on good terms with the UFC right now. Great insight from James. You all can see more of that at FightfulMMA.com. Click those exclusives or click the exclusives tab, rather. One of those that will be up there pretty soon is uh, James's conversation that he is about to have with Colby Covington. You all can follow Joe at Showdown Joe. You can follow James at Lynch on Sports. You can follow me at Sean Ross Sapp. Follow us at Fightful Online and at Fightful MMA. Uh, I will be talking a little bit of UFC Moscow on the Triple G Canelo post show Saturday. We have a WWE Hell in a Cell post show on Sunday. But most importantly, leave us a thumbs up, subscribe, but let people know about the Fightful MMA podcast. Let them know, hey, I heard this on the podcast. I heard that. I like this on the podcast. Your word of mouth is very important as we grow. Until next time, guys, we're out.